This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It's page 558 in the Pew Bibles, or just go to Psalms and then Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're in the midst of a series of sermons in Ecclesiastes going through this book. Today we are in chapter 10. Looking at verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of God. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, and so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and the serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you! O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thought, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that this is your word. These verses that we have read today come to us with your authority behind them. And Father, as we look at them together this morning, we pray that your spirit, who has inspired them and who has preserved them for us, would uh, open our hearts and minds to respond to your word and to obey 
the truths and live by the wisdom that we find here. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Back when we were in the study on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we came across a statement that God causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil, and that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. That is an expression of God's common grace, his common grace, that is his goodness to all people, whether they praise his name or curse his name, whether they love Christ or reject Christ. God shows immense and tremendous goodness to the entirety of his creation. In fact, Psalm 145 tells us the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now, we can distinguish God's common grace, his his lavish goodness to all of his creatures from his special grace or his saving grace, which he shows to the elect in granting them spiritual life and drawing them to faith in Christ. Uh, Those who have become Christians by God's grace, uh, if you're a believer today, have experienced God's special grace, his saving grace. But we also all, believer and unbeliever alike, experience God's common grace because it is common to all of us. Well, just as God's common grace is his goodness to all people, when we speak of common sense... We are speaking of sense, of wisdom that is at least supposedly common to all people. Unfortunately, all too often it seems that common sense is not all that common as we might wish. However, uh, the Bible trains us in wisdom, in worldly wisdom. Uh, worldly from God's point of view. And much of the wisdom that we read in the wisdom books of the Old Testament is in many ways, at one level, common sense. However, we could also say that it is sanctified common sense because as the preeminent wisdom book, book of Proverbs, tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what we might think of as common sense in the scriptures is common but in a sanctified way. It's rooted. It has as its foundation fear of the Lord, or as we would put it in a New Testament context, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you have faith in Christ, if you are a believer, then however much you might miss of common sense, you have the greatest wisdom of all, and that is to know Christ and to be with him in glory forever, because his blood has atoned for your sins, because he's clothed you in his righteousness and he calls you his own. However, as Christians, we certainly want that wisdom, that beginning, that that, that starting point of wisdom, but we want more than that. We want to be able to live wisely in this world. And regardless of whatever common sense a person might have, apart from Christ, he has no foundation, and ultimately the wisdom he has is, is useless. And in fact, that's a little bit of the perspective of Ecclesiastes, life under the sun, life lived in the merely secular realm. It really doesn't matter, as Kohelet, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, tells us, how wise you become. Ultimately, the, the, the sage and the fool both come to death. 
But biblically speaking, we want the wisdom that comes from knowing Christ and the wisdom that the Scriptures give us for living for Him here in this world. Just because someone's become a Christian doesn't instantly make him wise. Although he is wise for salvation, is he wise to live well? Well, the wisdom books and Ecclesiastes, as we're studying it particularly, give us instruction how to live well, how to live wisely as God's people. Now, as we look at this chapter that we've just read, it seems to me that we find here several observations about life and observations that, as we understand them, help us to gain a good and a biblical perspective on life. The first thing that we notice here in, the, in, in these Proverbs, and, and they are Proverbs. In fact, this is probably as close as the book comes to resembling the book of Proverbs. Uh, but they're not random. They're not all isolated. We can, many of them are together. We can group them together and look at them uh, this morning for the sake of organizing them. So the first observation that we find here, folly or foolishness is powerful. Look at verses 1 through 4. Folly is powerful. Uh, in, one, in one way that it's powerful here in verse 1 is it has the power to undo much good. Look at what he says. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You can have plenty of good ointment, plenty of good perfume, but a couple of flies in it spoils it. That's the point. It doesn't take much to spoil something good. Foolishness has the power to undo a great deal of good. And so he says, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, if we apply this in a personal way, what we're saying is that we recognize the power that foolishness has to overcome, to undo, to undermine a great deal of good. Think of someone who throughout their life has lived a very upright, uh, even godly life, life of integrity, one foolish act, an act of dishonesty, an act of immorality, even an act of thoughtlessness, causes great damage to that reputation that has been built. You see, even in the scriptures, some occasions for this, it may just be the impulse of irresponsibility. Think of Esau. Uh, who in a moment of hunger sells his birthright, does something really rash and stupid. Uh, think of Moses. You know, much discussion has been taking place in the women's Bible studies in Deuteronomy over the nature of Moses' sin when the Lord told him to speak to the rock and he strikes the rock and basically claims credit. Shall we uh, bring water for you from this rock? And because of that, he was not able to enter the promised land. Because of a moment of rash impulse. Folly is powerful. One act of foolishness can undo years of good work. Years of godly living. In fact, I was just seeing in the news this morning something that happens all too often. Uh, a shooting in a, in a road rage incident. And you think, and knowing nothing about the characters involved... Uh, nevertheless, probably two people whose anger got the better of them and something tragic takes place and one person does something he probably never uh, would think of doing otherwise in cold blood. And yet this takes place and changes his life forever because of his anger. Uh, folly is powerful. A little foolishness 
can undo much good, just like dead flies can make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. Folly is also powerful, verse 2 tells us, to steer a person into bad ways. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, it needs to be said this is not a political statement. And it would be an absolute misuse of Scripture, tearing it from context, to, to do so. Rather, this has the idea of the right hand and the left hand, and you find this in other places in Scripture. Uh, sorry you lefties out there, but the English word sinister comes from the Latin word for the left. Uh, there was a suspicion associated. And even uh, even Jesus declaring the sheep on the, his right hand, the goats on his left hand, there was this association of the right hand or the right side with what is true and right, and the left hand with what may be underhanded or suspicious or even even wrong. And so the point here certainly is to denigrate those who are in their right mind and use their left hands. It is rather simply to say that for the fool, the folly in him steers him to that which is questionable, steers him to that which is wrong, while wisdom steers us toward what is right. Uh, as Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, that folly in him has a pervasive influence affecting his whole life and the choices he makes and the priorities that he holds and that kind of thing. But folly is also powerful, and we see in this section, uh, to reveal itself. Verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. It seems to be saying here that just, just going along, uh, folly comes out. Foolishness can't be hidden for long. Now, there's a proverb, 17:28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Uh, maybe if he absolutely keeps quiet, he can contain his folly. We have a, a, a proverb in English that's much the same. Better to, remain be, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Well, that's essentially what the proverb is saying here. But the fact is, a fool can't remain quiet for long. He delights to air his views to all. And it sounds odd to hear things coming from a fool. Proverbs 17, verse 7 says, Fine speech is not becoming to a fool, still less is false speech to a prince. Now, what verse 3 is, is saying is, is that the fool can't keep his folly hidden. It will come out. It will become evident to all that he is a fool. By contrast, verse 4, uh, wisdom shows itself too. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Point being, if you're in the, uh, and this really makes a transition into the next section, if you're in the presence of uh, a boss who is angry, uh, or someone who is upset, what's the thing to do? Is it to quit in anger? Is it to resign? No, it's to respond calmly, to respond thoughtfully. So just as folly comes out in rash actions, silly words, whatever it might be, so wisdom comes out through someone's ability to respond in an adverse situation, to respond in a calm and wise way. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. The folly escalates. The, fool, the, uh, the wise uh, speak gently and calm down the situation. So that's the first observation here. That there's a warning. The terrible power of folly and foolishness. To, uh, to rear its ugly head and to do a great deal of damage and to undermine uh, a great deal of good. And we do well to learn from that, particularly 
brother or sister in Christ, as we are sinners, redeemed sinners in Christ, and yet still that residual sin and fallen nature that's there that can easily come to the surface if we're not careful and undo an otherwise good testimony. We keep watch over ourselves because folly is powerful. Second observation he makes here is that folly, unfortunately, sometimes is in charge. Look at verses uh, 5 through 7. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses, princes walking on the ground like slaves. Situation where the normal course of life is turned on its head, where those who are in charge are, 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 should not be, and those who really should be in charge are not. And this comes up again a little later. Look at verses 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. In other words, they they get up and immediately the party begins. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. It is a fact of life in this world And even students in school may recognize it when they seem to know, and in reality, factually more perhaps than their teacher does. Uh, Or if you work in a company and uh, you've ever looked at those in charge and thought, that's very unwise what they want to do. Uh, Granted, we may be wrong, but certainly uh, it is a reality in this life that folly not only is powerful, somehow sometimes folly finds its way to the top spot and is in charge, uh, wisdom means learning how to deal with that, how to recognize that, how to work with that. And sometimes it can be difficult. In fact, um, this reversal of, of princes walking and the slaves riding on the horse, uh, Isaiah indicates that sometimes, at least on a national level, uh, it can be an act of judgment. Look at Isaiah chapter 3, verse 4. As God is speaking of uh, Judah and his, his displeasure, his judgment, He says, I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And in verse 12, my people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Certainly we pray for godly leadership, whether it's in our schools, our workplace, our nation, whatever it might be. But we do recognize, as we live in this world, that sometimes folly winds up in charge. And as Christians, we have to deal with that wisely and respond in wisdom. Uh, Often that includes being patient. Often that includes not uh, letting anger get the best of us, but again, responding calmly and gently. There's a third observation that the preacher makes here as he looks at life, and that is that everybody faces occupational hazards. We all do, regardless of what we do. And he lists several here in verses 6 through 11. Uh, The person digging a pit risks the uh, possibility that he'll fall into it, be injured, maybe even killed. Uh, Somebody doing construction or maybe deconstruction, tearing something down, breaks through a wall, and lo and behold, there's a snake there, and it bites him. Anyone who's ever been doing yard work in the garden or pulling up a shrub and suddenly face themselves with yellow jackets coming out of the ground can uh, sympathize with that experience. Uh, verse 9, the stone uh, mason quarrying is hurt by the stones, uh, splits logs, is endangered by them. Uh, 
the wisdom, by the way, in, in verse 10 of preparing, sharpening uh, the instrument, taking the time to sharpen the blade before you go to work, and uh, you'll have to work not quite so hard. Verse 11, snake charmer. If the snake bites before it's charmed, that's no advantage. Nobody's impressed by that, only angered or, or this, the charmer himself is harmed uh, by the bite of a snake. Well, what's, what's he saying here? Well, he's saying that risk, even danger, is a reality in life. That whatever our jobs might be, whatever our avocations might be, there is a risk that something bad could happen. That we could be harmed. That we could suffer loss. That we could be injured. And yes, we could even be killed. Now, as Christians, we look at that and we have to acknowledge that. There is risk in life. Uh, sometimes it's minimal. Sometimes it's, it's quite extreme. Those who go over and serve in our armed forces in Iraq or Afghanistan. Missionaries who uh, went to difficult places on earth, Africa for instance, and packed their belongings in their own casket. Uh, we face risks of varying levels. Uh, but as God's people, we also recognize that God is sovereign. That there is a risk to getting in your car and pulling out of the parking lot today. But we also trust in God and trust that he is sovereign. We serve him in the vocations. We enjoy him in the avocations that we have, recognizing, whether to ourselves or those we love, that there are occupational hazards to life. The Bible does not present this world as some sort of, of utopia. It recognizes the reality of sin. It recognizes that even as Christians, we suffer uh, difficulties, injury, even death itself. Fourth observation that he makes here, to quote the words of a song perhaps you know, Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Verses 12 through 14. The beginning of the words of his mouth, or rather the words of a wise man's mouth, win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. And the next several verses go on to talk about speech. And we jump down to verse 20. Even in your thought do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. The bird of the air will carry your voice. Some winged creature tell the matter. What's he saying here? Well, for one thing, uh, in our speech, uh, we can give ourselves over to foolishness. He's also saying that in our speech, uh, words travel. Words grow legs. Even somewhat in hyperbole, even what you think might become known. Uh, the fact is what we say can become, become known to others in ways we may not wish it to. But look back in verse 12. The words, the, the words of a fool have the power to do him in. Uh, a wise man's words win in favor. The lips of a fool consume him. Uh, they may seem tactless. They may be provocative and bring injury to himself. Proverbs 18, verse 6 tells us a fool's lips walk into a fight. And his mouth invites a beating. Certainly not the kind of speech we want to have. Uh, in his speech, a fool often goes from bad to worse. Look at verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. The end of his talk is evil madness. He's, he's always going to get it wrong. And he starts out foolish and ends up even more foolish. Another aspect of foolish speech with a fool is he goes on and on about things he knows nothing about. You know, there's nothing worse than dogmatic ignorance, but you do encounter it frequently in life. Just make sure you don't encounter it listening to yourself speak. Uh, but look at verse 14. 
A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? He seems in the context to be speaking about the future, and the preacher says, who can know what's going to happen? Only the Lord knows, but he goes on and on about what will be. Well, the fool tends to speak with great dogmatic assurance of things he really knows nothing of. Let's make sure that does not happen with us. Proverbs 18.2, along those lines, says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The last observation, then, that he makes here, folly's powerful. Folly sometimes winds up in charge, and we have to know how to deal with that. The, the occupational hazards of life, keeping careful in our speech. And the last thing that he says here, observation about life, is that it is wise to balance work with pleasure, work with fun. I remember a particular professor in seminary, New Testament, who before a test, and sometimes after a test, would say, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, but all play and no work makes Jack a dumb boy. Well, we need the balance. We need to work hard, but we also need to be aware of a... Of a, of a uh, obsession with work, with effort. Uh, we see in uh, verse 18, sloth, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. The wise work to keep their possessions, to keep their lives in order. Uh, you'll turn over to Proverbs verse 24. Speaks to the same thing. Uh, through sloth, the roof is sinking in. Through indolence, the house leaks. In other words, not keeping it up, not taking care of it. Uh, in Proverbs 24, we read in verse 30, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And I saw, and I considered it, I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. In other words, he's walking by and he sees that the guy's garden is all overgrown. I was reading this verse and become very convicted about my flower beds. Uh, but that's the point. He's not tending it. He's not taking care of it. Well, that's exactly what... Verse 18 in Ecclesiastes is saying, through sloth, the the roof sinks in. Life requires effort to maintain order, whether it's the care of possessions, the organization of our life, our homes, work, whatever it might be. He also says here, the fool works harder than he has to. Look at verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. That's obscure. And, uh, you know, as I was reading about it, looking at it, it seems like probably the best way to understand this verse is simply to say that the fool comes home extra tired at the end of the day because he doesn't really know the way home. He gets lost. He walks a lot farther than he needs to, which is a way of saying that the fool often works harder than he needs to because of his own indolence. Uh, this is the curse of the procrastinator. And the irony of procrastination is by putting off what we need to do but don't want to, when it comes time to do it, we often have to work harder or under more pressure to get it done. Fool works harder than he has to. However, we also, if there's wisdom, know when to break for refreshment. Look at verse 19. If 18, the roof is leaking and the roof is sinking in, the house leaks. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. 
the point here is that wisdom requires knowing when to quit. We need to eat for sustenance, obviously, but also when it's time to take a break, time to rest, uh, time to give the work a break. And money, as it acknowledges, is a uh, often seems to be the answer to so many problems, practical necessities of life, certainly necessary to buy what we need, although some people tend to self-medicate through overspending. Uh, but it, sometimes it does seem money, it seems that money answers everything, but it doesn't make it necessarily so. Well, the fear of the Lord, faith in Christ, is the beginning of wisdom. But sadly, too many believers, having come to faith in Christ, continue to live lives that, whatever reason, uh, tend to exhibit foolishness. We want to be careful. Because with the Apostle Paul, we do want to be fools for Christ's sake. Fools for the sake of the gospel. And it's one thing for the world to think you foolish because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's another thing, as a professing follower of Christ, to go through life doing foolish things, making bad decisions, saying things that are not a credit to you. And so we want to live wisely. And books like Proverbs, books like Ecclesiastes, help us to avoid folly. Help us to glorify Christ as we follow him by living wisely for him. Let's pray. Father, we do confess that um, at times we do exhibit folly and foolishness because we are sinners. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for those times when we have offended you through our foolishness. And Father, we pray that as we study your word, and particularly books like Ecclesiastes, that you would equip us, uh, Lord, as Jesus said, uh, to be wise as serpents, even as we are innocent as doves, to live in a way, Lord, that not only brings you glory, but at least would bring grudging admiration, even from the world, for the wisdom with which we live and for the insight that we have into ourselves and to others and into this world in which you've placed us. And we pray it for the glory of Christ and with thanksgiving to him. Amen.